0: Welcome back to the Yellow Light Go podcast, the podcast for creatives and people who have to deal with them. I'm Noah. I'm Jacob. And we are uh, finishing a conversation that we started about education, Uh, started about learning and then we got into teaching and, um, you know, the, I think the final frontier on that particular subject is the idea of mastery. Um, This is a value that creatives have um, that I think goes... Uh, perhaps deeper than most um, most professions. Most professions aren't obsessed with mastery uh, right. like we are.
1: Yeah, if you have like a desk job and you're an accountant or you work for a corporation or you have a call center job, mastery may not be sort of at the forefront of of your priorities, of your consciousness, you know, right. of, of what you're doing. But obviously for us, it's, it's the goal of all this... Uh, learning and teaching stuff that, that we were talking about in the last two podcasts. So
0: Right, and it's also, uh, it, it's a moving target, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we value it so much, and I think it's talked about so much, but it, it's really often incredibly misunderstood.
0: Well, uh, so let's um, go ahead and define the terms that we're going to talk about. Okay. Uh, so mastery, uh, according to your uh, definition, is what?
1: Uh, it's the ability to do something perfectly every time without thought
0: okay um so there are things in our lives which we have mastery of which didn't require a lot of effort right right like, uh i mean and this is not including uh the sub functions of the brain things like breathing or blinking things like this right right i wouldn't say that i'm a master breather <laughs> right <laughs> although
1: but, you you technically have mastered it by that definition but you know ex- exactly yeah so we're not talking about involuntary muscle function or things right. that are controlled or by, or
0: even some voluntary muscle function like uh walking it's the thing we learn when very young, right? We've talked about your kid who's horrible at walking. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's a good because example. He's one years of, old, you know. It's
1: it's definitely a good example of mastery. But and it, you know, I think that it, talking about two podcasts ago when we were talking about learning and trying to learn the way a child would learn. You mm-hmm. know, if you're trying to develop a new skill, you're trying to learn a language. How does a child learn a language? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what part of their brain are they using? You right. know, that immersive yeah. kind of in in this context i think we want to or I think it's instructive to talk about a few things that maybe we've mastered later in life, even though okay. most of the things, it's true, we master them when we're, when we're children before we're able to outthink ourselves. Yeah, but these that, aren't
0: the things that creatives think about when they're thinking about uh, having mastery over their chosen instrument. Oh, not necessarily. Arts, right? I
1: mean, if you think about like child prodigies or a lot of the musicians we most admire, they developed a lot of the skills that have taken them through life at about the same time that kids learn language or, Hmm. you know, maybe, maybe not quite learning how to walk, but in some cases even learning how to walk.
0: Well, I feel like, and this, uh, this could be, uh, I'm not sure if it's chicken or egg, but uh, on YouTube, pretty much anytime you go on uh, the internet, you see some child prodigy (laughs) who is, you know, breaking... The game so depressing. Uh, yeah, it's, it hurts my feelings. And there's a lot of them. You know, this kid, like, there's a kid I've seen kids play guitar, ukulele, the piano, yeah. drums. A two year old playing drums. There was, I remember, there's a, a three year old playing drums with the symphony. Um, there, I've seen all of these things, and I don't know if this is uh this happens more now, or if we just see it more now because we have access to all of everybody's lives. You know, are posted on the internet and then shared, right? Or, uh, or if it's conversely, that children have access to the best teachers in the world and access to visuals of them. Uh, you know, like when, when I was a very little kid, I didn't really get to see great guitar players playing guitar, except for when I went to a show um, or watched a, a live concert DVD, which uh, of which there were very few when right. I was a kid. Right. I used um, to
1: have a collection of you know vhs tapes right yeah you know okay. i'd watch just, like rostropovich aging ourselves yeah you do yeah, yeah well, um
0: but i remember uh i remember when youtube became like sort of the, around the advent of youtube was i guess about 2010 like mm-hmm. right around there youtube became uh sort of uh, ubiquitous in our lives and i did a guitar lesson on uh On a John Mayer song, and uh, I that lesson has over a million views on it now, Um, or and it would probably continue to have more, except for it was ten years ago, so it's only two forty p. Right? There's like there's no, I I I can't even watch it anymore. I can't see (laughs) what I'm doing. Right? Um, But part of that is I was first to market, right? Mm -hmm. I was like the first person to think about doing that, and now, but now you can have Uh, like anything you want to learn, you just type in that thing you want to learn in tutorial into YouTube and 50 excellent teachers will be all right there, ready to teach it to you. And you can find the person you like the most and learn from them or even better. You have all of your favorite rock stars, right? Or not even rock stars, uh, you know, classical stars, anybody musicians, jazz musicians. musicians, And and, and that's just in music In anything you want to learn, like anything you want to learn. It's all right there and so uh, children now have that at their fingertips that's right uh and so i think that the the level of mastery can be achieved so much younger because of that
1: right right so at an age when children would are able to absorb things mm-hmm. um yeah their the, parents can expose them to as you said world class players and teachers now this was only possible in the past in really really fortunate circumstances like if you grew up in a culture where music was just so prevalent say you have a musical household and Mm -hmm. both your parents are prodigies we tend to associate uh the talent of the child all with genetics and i think genetics certainly play a big role in our ceiling but the fact that that child is around music as just another language in the household and now if you don't have musical parents, you know, if you don't have, you can still just, yeah, be Mm -hmm. on the internet and be exposed to this uh, at the right time. So I think you're absolutely right. The explosion we're seeing and maybe not quality artists, but uh, quality uh, people that are very skillful at an abnormally young age Mm -hmm. is, uh, I think, unquestionably due to... Yeah. I mean, uh, I I
0: would say, I, I would... I venture to say that's the same for the quality of the artist as well there uh i have had several students like young people
1: mm-hmm.
0: who uh started writing songs at the age of 10 right. i remember i wrote the first so my first song i wrote at age 13 it was not good right it's bad song yeah i mean there's a lot of songs i still write that aren't good and i'm seeing songs from you know, my 10 year old student and she sings it to me and I'm like, I wish I wrote that lyric. That's really beautiful. So I, I think that there is with being able to see and access and then learn from great talent out there, uh, not just as uh, technicians, not just the ability to do things at a high skill level. I think that there's also an internalization of quality art. And, uh, I see a lot of that too. And that's not to say, I mean, that's we can argue about how highbrow art is not, really very present in pop culture Uh, and I don't mean the highbrow of course is uh, I don't mean that in a negative way I mean Mm -hmm. just I know pop culture generally leans towards things that are more easily accessible there are all kinds of metrics that say that music is getting dumber um, specifically
1: unquestionably yeah
0: but I still think that there are young people out there because they are able to be inundated with what's out there achieve mastery not just on a technical level but also on on
1: an artistic level interesting yeah, yeah, that that could definitely be uh an argument we might have. I I, I think YouTube is while it's incredible for uh skill acquisition. Um I do worry a lot about I think in a lot of ways it's very damaging for art. <laughs> um, and like as how? as the great uh, cellist Raya Garbusova once said, uh she said there are always more and more cellists, but there aren't more artists. This is kind of an old-time cellist, so this is not someone who's alive today. But I think what she was referring to is the fact that in order for art to thrive, there needs to be certain cultural contexts and certain uh, that can't just be um manufactured um artificially. And I, I think the internet and and YouTube, obviously, I, I think you're right. it 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 does make us dumber. and uh, it, it I didn't it, say that. Oh, you said uh, music's getting dumber.
0: Yes, but yeah. I didn't say it was because of YouTube.
1: Okay. Yeah, I would. I think. I think YouTube is generally speaking making us a dumber. But from from a musician standpoint, so YouTube
0: is making us dumber. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh.
1: I think so. Uh,
0: that's an interesting premise. I would like to talk about that in a minute. But finish your point.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, my my point is is that I don't think YouTube can necessarily give. You know, you're talking about internalizing quality artistry from watching YouTube, and. I don't know if the platform and uh, that medium necessarily leads to uh, uh, or is conducive to that process. But skill acquisition, no no question.
0: How do you learn, if we're talking about mastery, like how do you learn artistry? Where does artistry come from?
1: Well, there's obviously life experience uh, and obviously with YouTube and the internet. People, kids don't get off their couches anymore. I think that's right?
0: a that's a gross overstatement. Also, anecdotal.
1: Uh, no, it's an objective. To... I think it's a, I think it's a fact. I mean, according to studies, the average child, mostly because of uh, screens uh, and YouTube slash video games, spends less time outside than the average prison inmate. Uh, I'd refer you to a book called Free Range Children, very well researched book uh, uh, that was sort of interest, of interest to me. I read it uh, a couple months ago. Um, just kind of doing some research about, you know, my son and, you know, we want to send him to some hippie forest school to sort of counteract some of that. So
0: basically the the point that you're making is that uh, being inside or only having interaction with the world through a screen or the internet is not life experience.
1: Right. And I would say not playing with actual musicians is also not life experience. In other words, if you go back to say, and I I mentioned a musical culture, if Mm. your parents aren't musicians, if you go to... I don't know, if you lived, if you were lucky enough to live in, you know, 19th century Vienna during the time when, you know, uh, you know, Brahms and all of these artists were alive and where every single person in their household made music for fun, the you know, the people would come over in the salon and that's how they passed their time and you'd be making music with people or if you live in a, a culture today that's just rich with musical interaction with, with right. other people. I, I don't think, the, I think there's a lot of artistry that's developed from interpersonal connection, and there's no question in my mind that because of the internet, uh, kids growing up today, artists or not, or, you know, burgeoning artists or not, have not only less time off of a screen, but they spend less time with other people, other musicians. Uh, you and, think that
0: that makes them, that that uh, prevents the ability to communicate your feelings effectively through a medium through an art medium. That's what
1: you're saying. Yes. And if you have less life experience, there's less to say also. I, I think that's, that's a. Okay.
0: So by that, uh, metric children shouldn't be making art at
1: all. No, not that they shouldn't be making art at all, but they need, they need balance. Um, uh, and, uh, kids just spend too much time on screens right now that's artists or not <laughs> okay well <laughs> and he,
0: even as an uh, even as an adult who you know tries to make art i i mean perhaps there is a like i i wouldn't know because i'm too busy being inside my head yeah there may be a dulling of my senses because of my the way that i interact with the world through my screen yeah um but i think that it also Is a thing that has allowed me to see much more humanity, uh, to bear witness to more stories, uh, to communicate with more people. Uh, people that i would never be in my own personal circle in ancient times you know we had our family we had just the immediate people around us the the tribe and uh, as we've grown up and and um you know become a civilization we've had access to more and more people and access to ideas that are not the same as ours and i see that all the time Mm -hmm. on the internet even though like you know we can create our own echo chambers and certainly you know facebook has done a very poor job filter uh, bubbles and such yeah. yeah there's that but we, I mean, we do that with our own people anyways in real life we stop hanging out with people we don't we disagree with and so in my experience the viewpoint
1: what about me noah
0: i'm sorry what do you mean
1: oh you said we stop hanging out with people we disagree with you and i disagree on a lot of fundamental things
0: oh sure sure but we disagree um the productively
1: Right. Well, I, now like you're a, talking about character yeah, more, I, I than, sharp more than more than right. viewpoint. Yeah.
0: Um. But you know, as a as a kid uh-huh. growing up, as as I went out into the world, yeah, I things changed for me. Yeah. Right. I wrote a whole long. Uh, oh, I think maybe we talked about this before. That when uh, I left. Uh, when I left home yeah. and went out into the world, I started to see that, uh, I, that's when I started reconstruction, right? Yeah. But my point is for, sort of or deconstruction, right? Rite of yeah.
1: passage, right? That you went through when you left home.
0: Yeah, but my, my point is that from home now, uh-huh. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, John Kaplan, who I reference a lot, one of my close friends, great mixer. His son is 14. Mm-hmm. And about you know three when his son was, 10 he was really into airplanes right uh, commercial airlines specifically he had a a big collection all the stuff he uh had you know as a 10 year old something like five thousand followers on instagram whom he interacted with who cared about the same things that he he had a community of people Mm -hmm. who were interested in the same things that he was that he wouldn't have in his immediate community so not only is he able to interact more with the world um, but he's able to find common ground in a community where he wouldn't have, and it wouldn't we wouldn't be thriving uh, in his interests if he wasn't connected to the world through things like YouTube, Instagram.
1: well, I, I guess I, I have a slightly different perspective on that without directly refuting uh, what you're saying. When you talk about a large community that's or the large community that's been possible for you or uh, uh, John Kaplan's son, I I guess I feel as if uh human beings were only designed and are only capable of according to a lot of you know the the sociological and psychological research that we have to have only a very small circle of actual friends actual
0: friends yeah and yeah. so
1: this idea of a community or people that are out there and having you know 5000 uh friends or followers or whatever uh, uh yeah, comes um, comes at is, I think, not only a little bit of a misconception, but it's also disregarding the opportunity cost of going out and developing actual relationships in lieu of the time it takes to actually build a social media platform. I I, I guess in the end, Noah, for me, it it comes down to uh, I'm very much a follower of the Emersonian ideal. Emerson talks about um, how society never really advances or regresses it just moves in waves and how whenever we whenever we develop something new or have a new technology or create something new, same things, there's happen. always unintended consequences. Okay. And okay. so when we talk about, he uses the example of, you know, the, the man has a stagecoach, but he's become like unable to walk a mile, right. Without, uh, becoming, you know, tired and how the farmer has his almanac, but he's lost the ability to, you know, tell the season or the time of day by looking at the stars in the night sky. And, um, I okay. I think that when we talk about art and artistry and sort of the undeniable explosion of of skill uh, that we see on YouTube, um, I I'm a little bit skeptical that there aren't unintended consequences or uh, that there are negative aspects sure. um, to um, YouTube's effect on art pop culture and just the cognitive development of young right. artists. Right. A shorter and, attention and in span general.
0: and the fact that we can have whatever we like we can watch whatever we want, whenever we want. Yeah, uh, and just the I lack
1: have, of socialization like, and all the other things I mentioned. I the mean the ability we know to sit that,
0: across from another person and have a conversation while you're looking at that. Or make
1: or a musical conversation. Okay. But what know? about what
0: about the great artists like uh, Emily Dickinson or I mean to to talk about uh Emerson um right I mean he went out like on Walden Pond was written when he was a hermit. Right. Right. Yeah. So he basically disengaged entirely in order to make his right, his art in that particular thing, at least his writing and his thinking. And so to say that uh, an artist must be, have social skills, uh, I think that that is also that maybe that's uh, not the
1: right line of. Well, we need some context for, for, for Emily Dickinson and for Emerson. We can start with Emerson because I, I I studied him a little bit more Emerson, uh, yes, he spent that time in, at Walden Pond, but he he wasn't really a hermit for the vast majority of his life. And you know, most great thinkers, writers, and authors, um, there's a wonderful book uh, written about uh, geniuses. It's a study of 100 geniuses. Essentially, the idea is that most of them follow a, a very... Uh, predictable pattern of getting quite a lot of socialization and exposure to the world when they're young, Uh up to their 20s or 30s. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, they often withdraw from a lot of the noise, be it social or otherwise. They tend to leave the cities, right? and go off and think and kind of work out all of the data that they've absorbed. Right. So I think if you view Emerson's writing and his work as seen in that context, and then of course he went back into the world after Walden, you know, we're not talking about a monk or a hermit who spent...
0: Uh, uh, yeah, but there there are, there are others in the, uh, I guess also, you know, what studies are done uh, of geniuses, uh, I imagine we can agree that the world has changed drastically in the last 20 years. Um, but the human brain hasn't, right? We're, we're still the same okay, apes, right? We haven't, but I don't know that there is a correct analog for socialization a hundred years ago, the way like for what's going on today. I don't think that we can extrapolate that. I mean, there are certainly there are things that matter. There are things. I'm not saying that it's it it's not useful information, but I'm just saying that there's not enough data. There's not enough of a timeline now to actually say.
1: Right, I think I know what you're saying and I I I guess I I I would have to agree, you know, and we can't obviously correl- correlation is not mm-hmm. does not prove causation. Um right. but we can see there are quite a lot of interesting studies that are hard to ignore on the effects uh, in terms of psychological health and all kinds of other things on young people that came around right about the time that facebook and the iphone was just available and mass and it's not good i mean the rates of unbelievable levels of depression in young people uh suicide rates in young girls of course because Mm. girls aggression amongst boys is isn't the same as female aggression is usually you know aggressing against reputations and things like that and so social media has been especially toxic for young girls Mm. and then of course most most disturbing, probably, of all of those things. We see the lack of attention span and just the feeling, Noah, and it's interesting you said, you know, how connected we are and how... People feel more alone than ever before in the developed world. Even amongst adults now, more people are dying from suicide than car accidents. We have Ooh. diseases of abundance, Ooh. not just in our food and in things like that, but Jacob, the disease of abundance of information.
0: That's super dark. That's super dark. First yeah. of all, you uh, have a tendency to... Uh... To be real honest
1: about that particular stuff,
0: yeah, and I have a tendency to uh, like look on the bright
1: side. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying optimism isn't honest? <laughs> uh,
0: oh, yeah, like maybe there is a dishonesty to optimism, sure, um, but I think that dishonesty uh, is a, productive. It's very productive. <laughs> Good, it's very like in terms of uh, terms of moving the world forward, uh, and certainly in terms of if we live in the state of awareness. At how shitty the world is, and that's where we live. If and when I say like that's like where our minds are at all times.
1: Oh then, yeah, at all times, it's definitely a problem.
0: Uh, that's for you. Is that what, what you're saying?
1: No, for all of us. I mean, for example, now that we have access to news twenty four seven, it yeah. makes people okay. unbelievably depressed. It's like, right? Just
0: sitting here listening to it like hurts my heart like, <laughs> thinking about this. Because but, because in my because in my personal experience, like in my life, in the life that I live, yeah. uh, you and I can talk about these things, right. but, but our personal connection, uh, be it uh, via the phone or the internet uh, or talking face-to-face like we're doing right now, uh-huh. is life-giving. Absolutely. Um, I have great relationships with my animals and my girlfriend and my family. I see uh, the people around me yeah. uh, out doing really good work out there doing their best to make the world feel less alone. Right. Right. Which is my, my, like I would say if I had a calling, uh, if there was anything in my life that I, I could break down a brass tacks, what I do. Right. And why I do it. Right. And it's, it's to make people feel less alone. And I experience that at all times in the, the, um, at all times. Uh, I mean, I wrap my life around it. Uh huh. Meaning I don't always feel it.
1: You Okay, But I'm I understand. Right. Yeah, you uh, wrap your life around that mission of making or, or helping other people right. feel a little less alone. So let's it's, go back to... It's a, very noble, but it, it's not... It, I mean, the tools, again, aren't necessarily the problem, although I would mm-hmm. say the internet, for the most part, is a major problem. Right, isn't the negative... But... Uh, is is a net negative, mm. but obviously there's an o- overwhelming amount of positive, and I, I think it's it's not necessarily negative to point out these things or to be aware of these things because mm-hmm. it helps us and maybe people listening and you know with the decisions that I make for my life or for my kids' life or whatever, um, we can be more conscientious if we understand the nature of the tools that we're using almost all day, every day, and it's hard right, to see to how do, that's a bad so, thing on so its face. I
0: would say for like your uh, what's the word I'm looking for? If my mission statement is to it, make yeah. people feel less alone, your mission statement is to do the least amount of bad.
1: Okay, yeah. I, according
0: I mean, according to that, what you just said. Yeah. But I don't know that to be true about you.
1: That my mission statement is to do the least amount of bad?
0: Yeah, that's that's what you were just describing, like in terms of like just how do I mitigate the complete and utter train wreck that humanity is
1: oh well i i don't know that i've yeah completely taken up that that banner uh (laughs) but but i will say that uh that if if we're going to make any changes in the world we really do have to start with ourselves it's it's infinitely Uh, easier but also it's authentic it's the kind of modeling that we were talking about in the learning and teaching sure. uh, portions of, of, yeah. of the podcast. And so I do—it is incumbent upon me, uh, you know, just as a sentient being and as someone who cares, um, to model what I think is uh, a sane, healthy— uh, approach to living and to learning and, uh, all of these things. And I think that again, right, to that, be
0: to be the change you wish to see. Yeah, in the world. yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So that, that has to start with coming to some kind of, uh, understanding of the tools that we're using every day, again, whether we like it or not, and, uh, making decisions that reflect a value of time well-spent uh, as my friend Tristan Harris okay. likes so, to say, as
0: a, uh, as a as a music director, yeah, uh, as a person whose job it is to um, arrange music and uh, bring a group of musicians together to play that music, okay. Uh, I there are different there. Uh, there's like the ways you could go about doing this are fucking vast and myriad, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I generally choose uh, my like basic formula is give them all of the information they could possibly need in order to uh do what they do well right right? and give that to them all of them before they get to the first rehearsal and so at our first rehearsal everybody knows exactly what they're playing Mm -hmm. everybody knows exactly uh what's expected of them okay and then the first time we make music together it's it's pretty close to actual music right not to teach any parts whatever that is and then from there it's not that i would like to do the least amount of you did this bad right right and the most amount of i love the way you did this let's do that again yeah right and the more i could do that one instead of the other um the more effective i am as a leader sure uh certainly in terms of uh certainly in terms of people management but also just in terms of the cultural capital that I build with the people around me, the more people feel seen yeah, for the good work that they do,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the more they're ready to take the note when I say, Hey, you, you know, you didn't do this part right. Let's work on this part. Right. Or what is it? What do you need from me in order to understand this? That is much easier to do when somebody already feels like I see them for the good that they do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in much the same way, Out in the whole world, I'm looking for people that I can say nice things to. (laughs) Right? Yeah. That's what I want to surround myself with, people I can say nice things to. That's it. That's a long fucking story to get to that one sentence. That's how I want to live. And the thing is, is I can do that in my life here in Nashville or on the road. And I can also do that on the internet. Perhaps I have the benefit of having grown up. Uh, sort of pre-YouTube. YouTube came around in my 20s. Um, I was an early adopter, but I was still largely formed. But I, I guess I would like to believe, despite the data, because of my personal experience, that the world is in fact getting better.
1: I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think there's a lot of evidence that the world is getting better by a lot of metrics, uh, I guess I'm just saying that I don't think we disagree as much as it feels like we do. As much as you may feel like we're disagreeing. <laughs> I'm simply saying that uh, with every advancement we make, especially in terms of new tools, right. with new ways of interacting with the world, there are um, unintended consequences and uh, sunk costs. So I think, right. you know, even if humanity is lurching forward very slowly there is to me the idea that these tools that we're using more and more youtube social media whatever they're not neutral uh they're highly addictive you know artificial intelligence algorithms that are designed to you know amplify you know things that are usually not very good you know outrage titillation things like that and so in the end i think what you're saying is is you you choose to use them for good, and you seem to be having a lot of success doing that. So, uh, certainly more power to you. I mean, I won't be leaving social media anytime right, soon. Right, but you're just saying be careful, right? Be careful, man. Okay. And so... I, th- I think all the artists that are, or quote unquote, or all of the you know prodigies that are being produced absolutely because they're exposed or immersed in YouTube from a very young age. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see if we actually do produce. More artists, you know, people that are really have something unique and soulful yeah. and interesting to well, say. If you say.
0: If you say more, there are more and more cellists, but not as like, or, but there aren't any more artists like that, of course, is uh, I mean, that's a personal feeling. Uh, right, it just is. Yeah, but yeah, the, it is. There's no uh, scientific
1: metric yeah, where we can right. to, it, call someone an, like artist res- an artist or not. Feels like it resonates with you. It has the ring of truth for me, just yeah. in my experience.
0: Well, then why. let's. Um, I wanted to talk about artistry as well, but let's uh, get back to the topic of mastery. Okay. Why would you say if i if you had to say why if you had to give me an answer why does mastery matter to us so much and not just that um, why does it have to be A lifelong thing? Why don't we just master a thing like walking? We can walk now. We don't have to think about it anymore. Right. Why is this a continuing value for musicians
1: and artists and creatives? Wow, that's such a great question. Um, I've actually been thinking a little bit about this. I visited with a relative recently who uh, has muscular dystrophy and is losing control of their body. Mm. And it made me think about. You know, what if I were in his shoes? You know, what if I uh, couldn't play the cello anymore? Hmm. Um, How would I live? Could I even go on? You know, and so like, what is it about just the doing of it all the time and that sustains me and Mm -hmm. makes my life meaningful? And I realized that a lot of it is about, I hate to use the word spiritual, but being in that flow state. That's, I realized that, man, if I couldn't play anymore, I would have to meditate a lot. Probably, like, I would probably need to do it almost all the time because there's something addictive and and so life-sustaining for me as an artist, and I think for all artists, about being in that flow state. You know, that point when you're on stage and you've just lost yourself and there's only... The feeling that that the music is expressing, and you just kind of become that somehow. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's the same thing that great athletes talk about when they <laughs> when they get interviewed. Right. and uh, invariably, the answer to how they sunk that amazing shot or how they played so well was, I don't know. You know, I right. just I just stayed positive and mm-hmm. things just worked out for me or whatever, right? <laughs> right. But it I, actually, those interviews are very informative because mm. if they could describe it in great detail, if mm-hmm. they were analyzing and thinking about and conscious of what they were doing, they wouldn't be doing it, yeah, yeah. it wouldn't be be mastery, right. you know uh-huh. okay. and so and so I think that's really what it is for me. and And that's why we need to uh, for me, like I need it every day, and I need to practice it. Like when I'm playing music and when I'm doing it really well or as well as I can when I get to that, without thinking every time state of something, even Mm -hmm. if it's just the simplest little movement I'm working on or the simplest little glitch in my technique, Mm -hmm. I become completely lost in it. I become that thing. And it may sound cheesy or cliched, but that's when I'm the most alive. And I I feel like every musician or artist listening to this can relate to that.
0: Isn't that sort of counterintuitive that the time you feel most alive is when you're lost inside something else?
1: Yes, (laughs) <laughs> I mean, yeah.
0: wow it's, dude, creatives are weird we are weird so basically what you're saying is that mastery is an obsession and it's basically a personal addiction it's just about a, a personal need
1: yeah it's a place that we're always trying to get to and so the idea of why do we practice every day you know mm-hmm. why do we keep playing like you said why are we just not there I <laughs> uh, I remember with my wife, she once asked me that after we'd been going out for a she was like, why do you need to still practice? Like you <laughs> sound fine. Are you afraid you're going to like forget how to play the mm. next day? And I was like, no, babe, like this is when I'm me. Wow.
0: So yeah. So basically artistry uh, and the, you know, the journey towards mastery, that personal development is just an exercise in uh, narcissism and it's like a self-absorption essentially? Or, I mean, is it is it that negative? Or is there a positive element there that, that you're not uh, saying out loud?
1: Well, I mean, I think this, when you're talking about this sort of deep flow state, this, this mastery, um, obviously, there are tremendous personal benefits, very similar to meditation and whatever. But I, I don't think it's selfish any more than other spiritual people like Buddhist monks meditating is selfish. Again, if you want to change the world, you have to change yourself. Okay. For me, the results, anything that I've been able to contribute to the world as a teacher, as an artist, as a, mm-hmm. just someone who puts beauty into the world, yeah. um, just someone who makes someone feel more connected, maybe, <laughs> to, right. to pick up on okay. your idea, mm-hmm. is the direct result of of that work uh, of that work, yeah, that work in in the ability uh, of me being able to get to that place. So
0: now you're getting at the center of it the this addiction that we have uh, doesn't work in a vacuum. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Our mastery of our particular craft doesn't matter if it's if it's not connected to the world in some way. Right? right? I mean we can talk about narcissism and the inherent narcissism in artistry. That somehow you should listen to me over listening to like, the fact that we're doing a podcast in the first place, right? right? It's like, people should listen to us. I will say personally that a big reason I wanted to start the podcast with you in the first place is, is I, I love the things that happen to me when you and I have a conversation. Mm. And my, uh, my rubric or my, my, my lens through which I see the world is what I experience personally. And so I think if this really matters... Uh, the the conversations that we have matter to me so much. Yeah, I can only imagine that other people have the same needs that I do, because if they don't, then I really am alone. and yes. I really am disconnected from the world. And I and I choose. I mean, I, despite all evidence to the contrary, like all evidence points at like the fact that I'm not alone even though I feel it, Mm -hmm. that we all have similar experiences. And that's a, I mean, such a a great example is uh, like all of our favorite songs. The fact that there's somebody out there time traveling into our lives and writing songs about the very, very specific situations that we're going through. (laughs) I love that image. Right. That's That's like, I, I, how many songs are like that in the world? i mean i have so many so many yeah i have so many i had a friend the other day was talking about a brett young song mercy and he was driving to a dave matthews band concert by himself because the girl he was supposed to go to go to it with bailed on him Mm -hmm. And he was listening to the radio and mercy came on and he's a grown-ass man and he was shedding actual tears in his car (laughs) listening to a brett young song because brett was singing about the way he felt right in that moment. Yeah, music is powerful that way. Movies are powerful that way. So are books. Any kinds of stories, even like stand-up comedy routines. Personally, I think that's the purpose of mastery. I think the purpose of mastery is to remove the barrier between people. To remove the barriers through which you can communicate with people, because words don't work. Words aren't enough. Word in the they're not enough because we know that there's painting and music right. and other forms of art if 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 words were enough for us to understand each other sure. we wouldn't have to do those things. Right, right but we do we do need those things and so mastery is the way in which oh yeah it's the vehicle through which we are able to uh, remove those words and put something in between us that is actually a bridge absolutely man
1: it's almost as if when we go into that state of mastery and we're not in our head we have the chance to be more authentic somehow, oh, and yeah. so the art I, that we yeah, create—you exactly. uh, know, the songs that we write, mm-hmm. uh, the the music that we improvise exactly. or compose—can right. be it's a quest for authenticity. yeah can touch people, can mm-hmm. have that universality in, in the listening. You know, it's it not
0: by being more impressive. No, no, right? not at all. Just yeah.
1: it, by being more authentic, more honest. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah that that tends to happen in that flow state. Mm, we call mastery. We're calling mastery in this podcast.
0: So how does that work for, just to break it out, Mm how does that work for basketball players?
1: Well, other than the fact that it, it brings joy and entertainment and a sense of, you know, when we see people who are virtuosos and who are just incredible at something, I think Obviously, there's with a basketball player, there's the physical majesty, there's the athletic mm-hmm. majesty. Right. That's obvious, right? They're flying through the air and mm-hmm. yeah, they're, know, superheroes. Do, they're superheroes. They're yeah. superheroes. But beyond that, I think what makes it really compelling, what makes a great basketball performance of a, of a player uh, compelling, is that we can relate to that flow state in some way. There is something that we can all. Um, or aspire to intuitively relate to okay. or aspire to. Yeah. Again, when they were like, he's in the zone. It's a, it's he's a unconscious. Physical, he's not thinking. It's a
0: physical representation of excellence. Exactly. And, and we, want, we want to be near that. Point.
1: And of a flow state, right? Mm-hmm. And of, you know, when they say, oh, Steph just hit 10 three pointers in a row, he's unconscious. Mm-hmm. He's in the zone. All right. of these types of things. Mm-hmm. Most of us can remember back to a time in our life, a very specific moment. For a lot of people, it's on a field, right? It's on an athletic field where they just allowed something to take over inside of them. Just that completely intuitive process where they were outside of themselves. I
0: remember when that happened to me, I was playing GoldenEye on the Nintendo 64. Yeah. Uh, We had a... Tournament, it's like four-player right tournament, and like all of my friends and all of my friends' older brothers' friends were all around, and we did like a weekend tournament. Yeah, and there was a good sixteen-hour period when I could not be beaten. Mm. This video game, I saw the future. (laughs) It was like everything slowed down, and nobody could touch me. And everybody hated me for it. It wasn't. It didn't bring us closer together. It was just a thing to do, right? But I remember that was. I believe that was the first time I truly experienced flow state. I was. 15 16 years old 15 years old yeah that's what we were doing playing video games together
1: yeah it's a celebration almost of what is what is possible and again it's something we've all experienced on some level like you know i would say we've mastered no you could even go more mundane than athletics you could say driving a car Mm -hmm. you know i mean a lot of us have gotten enough practice and repetitions of car driving that and we could do it without thinking yeah that, that night where time. you were tired yeah and you yeah. were just like man I need to get home and the, the minute you the, your next memory is you were just home mm-hmm. and you'd followed every traffic law and oh, yeah highway followed hypnosis, every direction yeah hypnosis. exactly who
0: knows if you actually followed every traffic law? who knows yeah. but I would
1: I would venture to say it's still a, a miracle of sorts right yeah. that we were yeah. able to so it's it's this this idea that there's a deeper level of consciousness this intuitive level that we know operates infinitely faster right. and more efficiently than the uh, prefrontal
0: cortex. Than the cont- yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: Uh-huh. So like we can only do six or seven calculations a second on that level, but at the intuitive level, we can do 10,000 or wow. more yeah. and we have this amazingly powerful computer. And so it reminds us of just how much potential is inside of us oh, when okay. we see those right. amazing musical performances. So athletic that's why performances. that's why we
0: love to see it. Right, And we've talked about as musicians why it's important to us to be able to do it. But right. I, I guess uh, what, I'm, what I would like to get at, and I'm curious if you have a thought about this, is what is it in the athlete's mind or heart, like brain? What is it in the athlete's brain that drives him um, to be excellent or to have mastery in the same way? that we do is there is it as altruistic as we think that our art is or does it skew more narcissistic because for us there's definitely the balance there's the balance of this is who i am and i am obsessed with becoming that person but then also i have to do that in order to be able to interact with the world there's two sides of that same coin but for a basketball player are there two sides of the coin do you think
1: or uh, that's that's a really interesting question um i'm not sure no I, i i know that their sense or their ego and their sense of meaning and purpose Mm -hmm. are obviously just as invested. But as far as their motivation and, you know, why they practice or why they play the game, Mm -hmm. I really couldn't say, although obviously there is, let's face it, a lot more money involved, a lot more uh, girls involved, potentially, a lot more wealth, power, fame, all of these types of things. And I think most musicians... And again, this is another problem I have with YouTube, but most musicians, uh, at least pre-YouTube era, did not really start seriously studying music with the idea of becoming rich and famous. Oh, I Um, did. Yeah, I'm not saying all, but I, just, I would I'm say just, I would say most musicians, including myself. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. The the, the You point...
0: didn't have delusions of grandeur when you were a kid. You didn't imagine yourself on huge stages with people clapping for you. That wasn't part and parcel with the whole thing. Definitely not. Saying not, not, not saying not that's parcel. not saying that's why we did it. Right. But if that wasn't a part of what you were doing did you always imagine yourself playing cello in a in a practice studio
1: well not in a practice studio i was always excited about the idea of being able to uh, move people and you know and share my art or inspire people right Uh, but the idea of uh, being a millionaire with bikini clad models diving into my pool Um, You know, think about your average rap (laughs) video or NBA Cribs episode. Uh, This was not 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 my uh, my.
0: So maybe not. So maybe not like rock star status, but there was a certain amount of accolade that you expected or that you dreamed of when you started. Right, you were going to be the world's best cellist, Mm -hmm. and you were going to have all the attending fame with that. It's not the same as the attending fame of a rock star or a rap star, right? Sure. But there was something going to happen there. Do you think that was a catalyst for you or was it just...
1: Well, yeah, of course. I mean, like any other artist, I've always appreciated being appreciated. And uh, you know, and, <laughs> don't think I don't think it's right, just artists, exactly, yeah. like like any other, but appreciated for what I do, right, so, uh right. yeah, it's you're right, it's just a human emotion or part of the human condition to crave those things, I should say, but I don't think I knew about mastery when I was that young, you know, when I first started playing music, and I hadn't put in the time to develop sure. these types of things. Well, when you started
0: playing cello, how old were you when you started playing cello? Four. Okay, we talked about this in the learning stages. That's before you have the ability to analyze what you're doing.
1: Right. So, I mean, I think people when they first start basketball or first start cello or right. whatever, they don't know about the mastery part. And the older I've gotten, the more I realize that mastery was the whole point all along or the pursuit of it and then the the being in that state... It was too sophisticated a concept, I think, before I'd experienced it and lived it. So yeah, initially, my motivations for making music were probably just fun and very superficial, similar to NBA players or whatever when when they first start. But I think for an NBA player, I don't know to what extent they're aware of or interested in the spiritual aspect of it and the losing themselves mm. it, it feels like it, i i intuit that it's just as addictive for them mm-hmm. as it is for us but right. you know i i don't know any nba players so
0: yeah i haven't had this conversation certainly with any high level athletes or elite level athletes anyways. it would be interesting i have i mean i've talked to collegiate level athletes about it i brett my my boss yeah. was uh drafted by the minnesota twins yeah. um and he approached music the same way he approached playing ball when it came to the uh the work ethic
1: hmm. right
0: the work ethic was the same and perhaps the you know he has this song called chapters where he says throw a ball and you'll have it all it's the best thing i ever heard right that was to him that's what it was yeah. and now later on it's like you know, write a song and people will listen to you, pay you money. I'm in, sign me up. So right. it's like it's sort of there's, a, there's an equation there that works for him. When I was a kid, I had a neighbor who had a Fisher Price recorder, put a tape in there and it had a little microphone that you could record onto it. You could record a conversation. And I remember telling my neighbor to interview me. As if I was an artist. I like imagined I was Michael Jackson. And I was coming through town on tour. Uh-huh. I was eight years old, man. Wow. And, uh, and I remember answering questions about like how meaningful the music was and like how I was just so excited. Like this <laughs> is like I grew up with this uh, this need or this expectation that this is what life had to offer. And I'm one of very few of my friends who didn't grow out of that.
1: Interesting, You know,
0: I never went away. I never let it go. And almost 30 years later, that's what my life looks like on a regular basis. That actually is what my life looks like. Right. With the exception of, I don't give a lot of interviews. Right. But all the other things, uh, all the other things I actually do get to do. Right. We're Um,
1: playing a stadium today for 55,000 people in a couple hours. In two hours. Yeah. we're two hours.
0: That's right. And which will be televised for multiple millions of people later on. Right. And we did that earlier this week.
1: But no pressure.
0: Yeah. Well, it... That's, no, there is no pressure. No, there isn't because right. because we've done the work up till now to have mastery over our instruments. Right. So that when we have the opportunity to reach more people, there isn't a sense that there are more people watching. There's just the sense that there's going to be more joy in the room.
1: Right. Yeah, we're just going to be letting go, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's just going to be the same as it ever was, only it's going to be a little bit louder this time. Yeah. I like that. I love that. Uh, well, um, I, that was a really good conversation, I think, about mastery, just in terms of our perspective. And uh, um, I, I love talking to you, even when we disagree, sometimes especially when we disagree. <laughs> Me too, man. Man, thank you for being here.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure, uh, Noah.
0: All right, dude. I'm looking forward to our next conversation, whatever it is. <laughs> Me too. All right. This has been the Yellow Light Go podcast. I'm Noah. I'm Jacob. And uh, we'll see you next time.
1: Peace.